0: Thank you very much, choir, for reminding us that we are called to live for Jesus. And by the way, this is not the time to start yawning because it's contagious. It's not the time to look at your watch or to sort of start stretching because we're going to be here for a while as you know, lunch is being provided downstairs for us in the function center. So I hope we will be able to enjoy the word of God together as we take this time to meditate. And, and reflect on what God has prepared for us. Please bow your head with me as we pray one more time. Father, it's been a long morning. Some of us are tired, and uh, Lord, we pray that you'll keep us awake, focused, engaged. We are here because we are seeking your presence. We want to hear from you. We ask that your message will be relevant. It will impact our lives. We will be encouraged, transformed, and changed for the better. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. According to the Time Magazine edition 2013, Uh, They came up with a list of 100 names of people that have impacted the course of history, people that have changed the world. And I've, I've selected the top 10 people that have been the most influential in human history. Number 10, they've selected Thomas Jefferson. Number nine, Alexander the Great, Aristotle, Adolf Hitler was on number seven. So this is according to the Time Magazine 2013 edition. And we're moving on. Number six, George Washington. Number five, Abraham Lincoln, William Shakespeare. Number three, Mohammed, the leader of the Islamic religion. Number two, believe it or not, Napoleon. And on number one. Sitting at the top of the list is none other than Jesus Christ. And what I found fascinating, if you are to compare the Time magazine list of these top 10 personalities that have changed the course of history, and you compare that list with other lists created by various psychologists and people around the world, the list, the top 10 or the top 9 may vary, but in every single list, number 1 is Jesus Christ. And what I find fascinating is that even non-believers are happy to admit that Jesus was not only a historical person, but He was, in fact, the one that really impacted the course of history, and He changed the world. And they're not ashamed to admit it. And how much more should we be proud of this very fact? So if you want to live a life full of hope, full of purpose, full of meaning, a life that will truly make a difference in your church, in the community, I believe we would need to pay attention to what Jesus had to say because He's not only top number one of personalities, but He's also the Lord of Lords. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the one that came and was born in a manger. He lived His life. He died on the cross. He conquered death. He ascended to heaven. He intercedes for you and me in heaven. He promised to come again. He's the Lord of Lords and the kings of kings. And He's here with us today. And He's also in our hearts. And if you want to live a life Or if you want to have a life worth living, I believe we need to pay attention to what Jesus had to say. But Jesus had a lot to say. So this morning, uh, I would like to share with you three things that uh, I believe will make our lives worth living. And number one is seeking God. And this is what Jesus shared. These are principles that will help your life worth living These are principles. I'll be sharing three principles, three Bible passages, and these will be the things that I would encourage you to take away with you, not only for today, for the week, but for the rest of your life, because it will definitely make your life, it will change your life for the better. Principle number one, seeking God, and the principle is found in Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 33, and here we have Jesus Christ Himself sharing this principle, not only with His disciples, but with those that were listening to Him, not only to those that were listening to Him then, 2,000 years ago, but with us, because He is the teacher. He is the one that is here. He is the living Word. And in uh, Matthew, chapter 6, verse 33, says this, but seek first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. According to many studies done around the world, people are searching, first of all, they are searching for these four things. Number one, food. Number two, clothing. Number three, shelter. Number four, security. And if you are to take a moment and just to think about these items, even though we, we live in a first world country, these are still priorities for people. Number one, food, clothing, shelter, and security. And these four items are then followed by you know, love and friendship, and then, of course, by fame, money, power, and success. But you see, the world hasn't changed that much in the last 2,000 years, because 2,000 years when Jesus was on the earth, People were still seeking for food. They were seeking clothing, shelter, and security. And it was within that, co- that context when, people, when, when Jesus stepped forward and he said, Before you get so passionate about food and clothing, security, and shelter, I want to challenge you to seek God first. Question is, what does it mean? What does it mean to seek God first? What does it mean to seek Him? Full stop. Now, think of this. The word seek has a very strong meaning. let me explain this to you. Imagine you are losing your three-year-old child in a busy marketplace in a foreign country. Would you search for your child? Would you be passionate about it? Would you still be checking your Facebook updates while you're looking for your child? Would you look to see what's happening on Instagram or on the news? Or maybe you're not relating to the child story. Well, then imagine you're losing your wallet in a busy marketplace in a foreign country and you've got $5,000 cash in it. You've got all your cards. You've got your passport. How would you spend your time? How would you prioritize your list? How would you seek for your wallet? Now try to parallel that situation in terms of seeking for your child, seeking for your wallet, with the context that Jesus is giving us here. Seek God first. And we've got this beautiful passage that comes from Jeremiah 29, verse 13. And it says, You will seek me and find me When you search for me with all your heart. And that's a key, key context there. Because what Jesus is saying here, look, I'm not playing hide and seek with you guys. I'm not playing hard to get. I'm not playing hard to get. But what God is trying to communicate to every single one of us is this. I want you to be intentional in pursuing me. I want you to be intentional in pursuing this relationship That, you know, things don't just happen. Gardening, my friends, and I know this from my poor experience, probably I'm the worst gardener in this church. Gardening doesn't just happen. Having strawberries doesn't just happen. Relationship with Christ. Living a purpose-driven life full of hope, of identity, having the ability to impact the community doesn't just happen. For this very reason, Jesus is saying, before food, before clothing, before security, before shelter, seek God first. With all your heart means seek God with everything you have. It's a non-negotiable that He becomes a priority. It means that we need to desire Him above all else. Do you know that I have been struggling in in my prayer life and in my devotional life? And do you know what my prayer became? God, I'm not looking forward to that morning time. Because that's my heart. Can you please make me willing? Can you put a desire in my heart to be with you? Can you change my mindset that before I seek anything else, I begin to seek you? It is natural for you and it's natural for me to rebel. That's our nature. It's it's easier for every single one of us to run away from God than to run to God. That's why we need a change of heart and our mind. And the world is demanding our time, is demanding our attention, is demanding our money. They're demanding everything from us. And God is saying, before you start giving anything to the world, connect with me. And it's hard. And let me be honest with you, and this is not to discourage you, but very few people, very few Christians connect with God in a meaningful way. Because we rush through that experience because the world is demanding our attention. And this is not to discourage us, but rather to help us think and prioritize our days. Look at this passage, Chronicles 22, 19. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord. What I'm trying to encourage you this morning is that you make a decision here today. That you set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord before anything else. If you want your life to be worth living, if you want to leave an amazing legacy behind you, if you want to impact people for eternity, if you want to see God's hand move in your life, if you want to see miracles like in the times of the apostles, if you want to hear God's voice speaking to you, you need to seek God first. There are many good things in life, but there's nothing that beats the time when you spend alone with Jesus Christ. You can do that through prayer, by meditating on the Word of God that you read, by singing, by contemplating on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and being reminded that when we fail in our journey, He is there to pick us up, and He's there. Psalm 51.10 says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And that should be our prayer, because we want to set our heart and our soul to seek the Lord. Amen. I need to move on, and I'd like to share with you a second principle that makes life worth living, and that is seeking service. Seeking service. And now that's a bit different. And I want to share with you a passage from Matthew 20, verses 27 and 28. Matthew 20, verses 27. And 28, and what what I've made about this passage is these are all principles that Jesus himself has shared. He spoke the truth, and that's why they make life worth living. 27 says, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's fascinating about the the Greek language of this verse, uh, when, when Jesus talks about the fact that he came to serve, he's using the word that we use today for deacons. In other words, Jesus left the throne of heaven in order to come to earth and be a deacon. If Jesus would have been part of this church, he would have put himself, he would have put his hand up and said, I want to be part of the deacon's team. Because I want to serve. That's the heart of Jesus. He, he, he doesn't try to be in the spotlight. He's always helping people without trumpeting what he's doing. He finds joy in helping. And you know what's inspiring? Not only looking at the choir and looking at you guys, I know that I'm surrounded by people that are volunteering their time to service. Let me tell you something about volunteering. Studies have shown, and we've got two particular studies that show volunteers live longer and happier lives. So if you're a volunteer today, either at church or in a different community project, I'm here to tell you that you're going to live longer than others. And you're going to be happier than others. Why? Because we are living the character of Christ. That's what happens when you serve without any, any motives. And another study is in Time Magazine says, Helping others help you to live longer. You're not only impacting others and you do good, but you actually get a benefit. You're experiencing the character of God in your life. If your prayers don't make us better servants, then there must be something wrong with our prayers. Because prayers are meant to make us more like Jesus. Let's get this right. We are not saved because we are serving people around us, but because we are saved, we are going to serve in whatever capacity God has called us. Let me share this passage with you from Galatians 5:13. You, and my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Do you know what, you know what's one of the, the hardest things on earth? To think of others better than of yourself. One of the hardest things on earth is, rather than, than, than sit down and, and waiting to be served, one of the hardest things on earth is actually to get up and serve others. But this is exactly what God is calling us, is inviting us to do. If you want to have a life worth living, God is telling us, seek service. Seek service. No wonder the church needs servants because we are called to serve one another and everyone has a part to play in the church life, in church ministry, in church mission. However, however, it's very easy for people to approach a church as we do to other organization or business, and that is as a consumer. We approach a church and we ask, what does this church have to offer to me? What do I gain from this church? We shop around for the best church until we decide that I'm going to be best serviced. But that's not the attitude that God wants us to have. The church is a living organism. It is not a store. The church is a living organism. And God designed the church. God in His wisdom designed the church to depend on individual members serving one another. Do you know? Because when you serve, it takes love. So God puts us all in this church, and He helps us to live with one another because we are going to spend eternity in heaven together. So we might as well get used with each other here on earth, serving one another. While I would like to thank those that have devoted many years and many hours to the service of the church. They have volunteered their time, their passion, their energy to lead out in various ministries. While I want to thank these people, I also want to address those that are not involved in church ministry. Maybe God is actually calling you to step out of your comfort zone and use the gifts that God has given you. Because a life worth living is a life where you seek service. Where you develop the heart of God in you by helping others. And if you want to join one of our ministry teams, I really encourage you to talk to me today or this coming week. Talk to me or to any of the pastoral team members or to the elders. And we will sit down, we'll talk to you, and we'll find a place for you. Because there'll be greater joy for you to serve than just to come And attend a meeting. Not only that. But you'll get to live longer. And you'll be happier. Who doesn't want that? And keep remembering. Keep keep, uh, reminding yourself this. Jesus left the courts of heaven. And he came to earth. Because he he put his hand up. And he said. I want to be a deacon on earth. I want to serve. I didn't come to be served. That is the heart of God. And last point. I want to share with you this morning. A life worth living is a life where you're seeking people. You're seeking God first. You're seeking that service in the community or in the church. But you also you're seeking people. And the passage I want to share with you is Luke 19. Luke 19 verse 10. Here again we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sharing this passage with us. Sharing this this, this insight and he says... For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In other words, Jesus said, I'm going to leave the worship of angels. I'm going to leave the comfort of my throne in heaven because I want to come and get my hands dirty as I'm seeking for people that are lost. And He's desiring for the same heart to be in us. Jesus planted salvation and hope in our hearts and is willing that we may seek those that are are not believing in Him yet. Jesus left everything in order to accomplish His mission. Now, keep this idea in mind. Jesus left everything in order to accomplish His mission. He was willing to let everything behind. The question is, what what are you willing to leave behind in order to seek people? Are you willing to leave behind timidity in order to make your life worth living? Are you willing to leave behind fear? Are you willing to leave behind embarrassment? Are you willing to leave behind comfort? Are you willing to leave behind your free time? Because you know God is calling you to seek for those that are lost in whatever way you can. Maybe you're holidaying in a caravan park. Pray to God that you may know how you can seek people. Maybe you're holidaying on a cruise for the next 10 days or for the next three months. Pray to God that you may know how you can testify to Him. Maybe you're flying from Sydney to some other place to visit relatives. Pray to God that as you sit in that plane, you'll sit next to someone that you can testify. Maybe you're going to the market. Maybe you're hanging around with your neighbors. God wants us to live and to breathe the mission because he left the courts of heaven in order to save those that are lost. And when we have Christ in us, we have his willingness to see those that are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, to see them reconciled. There is no better way to grow your faith than to share your faith. Would you agree with me? There's no better way to grow your faith than to share a faith. I am a terrible fisherman. Right? I can read all the books in the world about fishing, but unless I go out there and try to fish, there's no point. There's nothing like having your your faith challenged. There's nothing like having your faith questioned when you try to witness. There's nothing like witnessing that grows your faith. And if you don't know how to do it, come talk to us and talk to God about it. Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit will fall upon us, He'll give us the power to testify. About the wonders he has done. A life worth living is a life where we seek God, we seek service, and we seek people. Irina Sandler, and I'll finish with this. Irina Sandler, she was born in 1910, not far from Warsaw, Poland, and she died not that long ago in 2008. But what's significant about Irina? is that she was courageous enough to defy the Nazis. And she saved 2,500 children by smuggling them out of the Warsaw Ghetto. She sedated the kids, the little babies. She placed them in her bag and she saved 2,500 children out of the Warsaw Ghetto. She did that between 1942 and 1943. She would take them to a hiding place, and she would find non-Jewish families to adopt those children. What's fascinating is that she kept a record of their true identities. She wrote the names of the children, placed them in a jar, and she uh, hid them underneath an apple tree, not far from the German barracks hoping that one day she'd be able to dig up the jaws and and, uh, locate the children and inform them of their past. Unfortunately, she was discovered. She was arrested. She was tortured. She was beaten. She remained disabled for the rest of her life as a result of the beating she received from the Nazis. But no one could break her spirit. She never released the names of those children. She never released the place where she hid the names of the children. The war ended and she survived. And after the war ended, she went to that apple tree and she took the jars out and she started to find those children and try to unite them with the the family members that were still alive. Irina Sandler did not think of herself as a hero. She claimed no credit for her actions, but this is what she said, I could have done more. This regret will follow me to my death in 1965 she was accorded the title of Righteous Among the Nations by the organization in Jerusalem and in 1991 she was made an honorary citizen of Israel but something that really struck me was this this is what she said Arina Sandler just let it sink into your mind and into your heart every child saved with my help is the justification of my existence on this earth and not a title to glory. How about that for a humble heart? Every child saved with my help is the justification of my existence on this earth and not a title to my glory. Someone wrote about the Holocaust. In those times when there was darkness everywhere, in heaven and on earth, all the gates of compassion seem to have been closed. The killer killed and the Jews died. And the outside world adopted an attitude either of complicity or of indifference. In that context, only a few had the courage to care. And Arena Sandler was one of those few that had the courage to care. And what I want you to understand is that Irina Sandler left the comfort of her home, left the security of her house. She risked everything to save some children that were destined to death. And she saved 2,500 of them. And she did it because she said, that's my justification, being on earth, making a difference. We live in a time where there is spiritual darkness everywhere. The question is, what is the attitude that we have adopted? Are we doing church just for ourselves? Or are we thinking of the unchurched when we're doing church? Do we understand the world in which teenagers are growing up today? What is our attitude to those that are dying without the knowledge of a Savior? The pastoral team, we are burdened because we live in a world where if you put a flyer out people are not necessarily going to come to an evangelistic meeting. What they're looking for is true, meaningful relationships where we develop an attitude of care for those around us. That evangelism is not just about a big event. Evangelism is a personal relationship that I have with non-believing friends, that I want to see them in heaven, that I care for them. And that will be a justification for my existence, not a title to my glory so when you wake up every morning as God gives you breath and life I want to encourage you if you want to make your life worth living start your day by seeking God first secondly ask him how can I serve you and your people and number three Lord who are those that are lost around me and I can influence them for eternity These are the words of Jesus, not mine. And trust me, once you implement these three principles, seeking God, seeking service, seeking people, your life will be worth living. Amen.